Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast from The Athletic. Coming up on this week's show. A tale of two draws, Leeds give us a brief taste of our own medicine before normal service is resumed at the Emirates. The Athletic's Newcastle United team welcomes a new recruit. And December becomes January, but don't expect any fireworks this transfer window. Hello, this is Pod on the Tyne. I am Taylor Payne. Happy New Year to all of you. And we do have a new man raring to go on the touchline. But for the time being, uh, we'll have to make do with the Athletics NUFC correspondent Chris Woff. And our senior writer, Mr. George Cogan. Happy New Year, chaps. How are you? How are you doing, Chris? You all right? Do you have a good one? Happy New Year. Uh, yes, it was. It was quite a quiet one, but it was. It was. It was good. I mean, I got absolutely soaked at St James's Park, as I think just yeah. about everyone else did on New Year's Eve. Well, yeah. And I think I might just have dried off by now. So nice. Uh, yeah. How about you? I'm good. Yeah, I'm all right. It's been a busy one, but it's been good. Nice to see the year tick over into another one. One more closer to death. How was that? Eh? It's a way to go. <laughs> <laughs> how are you, George? Are you all right? Well, on that note, how are you, George? Um, maybe I'll answer this really, really slowly and see how much it winds you and everybody else. And Mikel Arteta. Up. Yeah, just thought I'd keep in the tone of tone of uh, the Arsenal match last Fair night. Bit. A bit of early shithousery into the podcast. Nice. But yeah, otherwise I'm fine. I was in bed by 9.30 on New Year's Eve, which is my tradition. Lovely stuff. Any uh, any New Year's Thank resolutions, you. Chris, this year? Uh, send George further afield in the South Coast. <laughs> George is covering Newcastle's uh, World Cup tie against Atlantis next week. <laughs> My New Year's resolution is the same as every year, which is never, ever bloody anything, ever. Yeah. Pointless, isn't it? Absolutely pointless. Waste of time. I think that was Adrian Edmondson in bottom. Yeah, it was, that's yeah. Always been my, that's always been my life motto. Fair play. Can't argue with that, can you? No. Let's cast our minds back, chaps, to New Year's Eve, all the way back last year in 2022. A proper hacky uh, night, afternoon even, on uh, on New Year's Eve at St. James's Park, Chris. A thoroughly frustrating affair, let's say. It was frustrating in many ways. I mean, there are so many caveats to that. First of all, that Newcastle could and should have won the game on several occasions. Certainly second half, they had more than enough opportunities. Or openings, really. I mean, some of the, the final ball was lacking or 
couple of good saves from Melier, particularly from Cher. Obviously, Sean Longstaff missed a couple of chances. There were a couple of other big opportunities squandered. And Sonia Castle should have won it in that sense. But Leeds came and, and frustrated them in much the way, same way that we're going to go on about how Newcastle frustrated Arsenal in many ways, certainly first half. And the conditions really helped Leeds. The fact that it was absolutely sodden. I mean, it started raining just before kickoff, and you could tell ten minutes in this is not going to stop. And it was, it was, it was pretty. It was just constant, incessant rain, um, and that made it difficult in terms of you could see the way that Newcastle were trying to deliver the ball or pass it, and sometimes they couldn't quite get their sort of radar right, and that meant that they didn't. They weren't the same slick side we saw it. Leicester certainly in the first half on, on Boxing Day and, and, and previously before the break, but still it was an it was a an, another clean sheet. It was another point, another game unbeaten, and it just it, it basically shows the level Newcastle have reached in such a short period of time that a a goalless draw that Newcastle really did dominate and should have won at home is seen as being a disappointing result. Yeah, it was a bit of a disappointment, George, wasn't it? But perhaps a little bit of credit to Leeds. Uh, they, they rode their luck at times, and but they essentially shithoused the kings of shithousery, didn't they? Well, exactly, exactly. And I, you know, to be honest, I, I I quite enjoyed I quite enjoyed watching it from afar. Um, I was still in America. I was very happy not to be in the press box for that game because, uh, <laughs> as people may or may not know, yes, there's a roof. Uh, on the Milburn stand, but it, it provides absolutely no protection when the rain starts swirling in. And oh god, I've had laptops explode and stop working and stuff like that on on days like that. But yeah, I mean, I and I said this on Twitter, so I'm not being smart after the event. I I enjoyed the sort of anger and the, that feistiness. You know, I love, I quite like those games where you, you know where you've got teams coming and being frustration and frustrating and naughty and yeah you can't see that match now without the prism of the Ars- of the Arsenal game and you know Newcastle doing exactly to Arsenal what Leeds Leeds did to to Newcastle at St James's um absolutely fair enough it's up to increasingly we're going to see this teams are going to come uh come hit come to Newcastle and put men behind the ball and try and hang on for a point that's a compliment to the way Eddie Howe's team have played um, and it's up to Newcastle to find a way through. They couldn't do it that day, but no, I enjoyed. I you know I, I sort of enjoyed that anger, and you know I think you also have to look and take a step back that we ended 2022 with Newcastle trying to break down a team grimly hanging on, and not too long ago that team was Newcastle. Absolutely, yeah. and it's it's astonishing. You know, it's astonishing. So yeah, you know they stay unbeaten at home. It's just been a brilliant 2022 at St James's Park. Let's not forget that too. So it had its frustrations, but you can't win every game. Man City on the same day drew a match. It's you know you can't you you just cannot win every game, and if you can't win, then you get a point, and that's what they did. Just to pick up on what George is saying there, I think that what the Leeds game showed as well, and to a degree, we also got it in the Bournemouth Cup game just before Christmas, and in general against Bournemouth early in the season, is that. The, the next sta- stage for this Newcastle side is to try and work out how they actually break these sides down and come and sit back. Yeah. That is the challenge which the, the big sides in the Premier League face on a weekly basis. Newcastle are so formidable at home that that's certainly what they're going to face at St. James's Park. And I know there was a lot of debate about whether Alan St. Maximan could have played and you do think that he's probably going to be part of the solution for that. Alexander Isak obviously still isn't back fit he should hopefully be in the next week or two and then he is another uh area another really 
think someone Newcastle can throw in there to try and offer them something a little bit different. But the the really Newcastle's major success has been built on the defence and the defence held firm against Leeds, held firm against Arsenal. The defence looks so solid right now and now it's about adding maybe another extra layer onto that going forward. Yeah, the the, the midfield is 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 a position that um I've I've noticed a couple of times we uh we sometimes struggle a little bit in the midfield. I thought against Arsenal we got a little bit overrun and occasionally against Leeds as well. But I don't know whether that's we have players playing out of position or if there's players who are uh, not quite comfortable in the roles that they're in, maybe. But I, I feel like that, that number six coming in or somebody who's a solid number six coming in could really make a difference, allowing Bruno to push further forward and giving us that chance to unlock the doors a little bit more easily. You know, Maybe that's something that Newcastle have got on their mind. I mean, I've watched Leeds a couple of times this season, Chris, and they didn't play like that. That is not how Leeds play. But they, they came and they sat in and they waited and they just tried to hit us on the break. Is this a case now of teams kind of working out how to play against Newcastle and, and maybe changing their own uh, their own approach to suit? I think it is about changing their own approach, whether it's work out how to play against Newcastle. I mean, as I said, I think Newcastle could and should have won the match. Um, I, I slightly disagree with you on the midfield point. Really? I, I, do, I do understand when people talk about the balance to a certain degree, and I do also understand the clamour to get Joe Linton back to be a left-sided number eight. But I also think him and Willick complement each other so well in almost like a hybrid role. On the other side, Sean Longstaff, although sometimes limited in what he does on the ball, off it is absolutely huge for what Newcastle are able to achieve. And then you've got uh, Bruno Gimaraes sitting slightly deeper and when he can have space, he's able to spread passes and he's able to win fouls. I do think that Newcastle's strength is their midfield. Could, could they have a bit more creativity in there with a different number six or if John Joe Shelby was fit? Probably. But I'm, I'm not sure that, the, that all of the root problems necessarily stem from the midfield. I do think that it is actually Newcastle's strength. Yeah, I, ju- I just want to add a little bit on that. I mean, I saw a, a bit of depressing stuff talking about Sean Longstuff Long on Twitter after the after the Leeds match and some criticism of him. You know, fair enough, I think, in the, in the heat of a game when you haven't got the result you want. But, um, you know, Long, Longstaff has been one of the massive success stories of this season. A player transformed under Eddie Howe, looking like the kind of player he was a few years ago in Rafa Benitez's last season. Yes, he missed a couple of chances, but I think the point to make about the team is that they're all overachieving at this point, or they're playing at the absolute limit, I would say, of their physical ability. The whole team from 1 to 11 and the people who come in. And that is such a good thing to see. Yes, we know that some of these players have got flaws. They're not the finished article, this team. I mean, I think if you look at Man City or Arsenal, even Liverpool, Man United, how many players on paper would you swap? Would, would those teams swap for Newcastle players? I don't think there's a lot there. We've got an, we've got a brilliant team playing like a team, and that is the strength. The strength is the collective. And, you know, individuals may have off days every now and again, but, my God, they've been brilliant this season. They have. They have. And I, and I understand the, the, the kind of... The, the, the collective is, is the important thing. Um, I just wonder who... If we do go and buy this number six that everyone seems to be talking about, to, to firm up that midfield. Who is it that makes way, Chris? Because who is the who is the likely player to drop out of that midfield three? Because we've got Bruno, you've got Joe Willock, uh, or Joe Linton and Sean Longstaff. Now, who is it that makes way? Who is the who is the likely one to step back? I can't answer that question right at this very moment in time, but I also think that that is a positive 
problem, which Newcastle need those sort of selection dilemmas across the pits. That's what they're hopefully going to have when Alexander Isak is back fit, as we're seeing up front. It's going to be probably him or Wilson, at least to begin with, which is a positive selection dilemma. The problem Newcastle have at the moment is they play three midfielders and they essentially only have four fit senior players who can play. They've also got Elliot Anderson, but obviously Genjo Shelby's not fit. So it's three of Bruno, Joe, uh, Joe Willock and Sean Longstaff and Joe Linton have to play in midfield every single game. Then if Joe Linton's playing as a left-sided centre-forward easy at the moment, there isn't an alternative. And the schedule Newcastle have over the course of the next few weeks, you look at cup competitions and beyond bringing Elliot Anderson in, you're either going to have to play people out of position or you're going to have to keep playing these players as well. So I, I just think how wanted another midfielder in the summer... And even with John Joe Shelby fit, he would ideally like another one because you look at Liverpool and everyone talks about the problems in their midfield. They've got about 10 midfielders and they play with three as well. Newcastle just need a greater number of players in there, plus someone who offers something a little bit different. What Howe wants is some dynamism defensively, but also someone who can sort of play in there. And I'm going to use as an example because he's someone who Newcastle have looked at, but I'm not necessarily, I'm not saying they're necessarily going to sign him, but Yui Tillemans, that sort of play, he offers something a little bit different to the Newcastle midfield at the moment in terms of he can shoot from distance, he can add a goal, he can provide something. It would mean that Bruno could play as a six or an eight. So I think it's a, I understand where you're coming from, but it's a selection dilemma that Eddie Howe would welcome. He would like another midfielder to be able to help with that. And just, just very, very briefly, I mean, the whole thing is, you know, nobody would have predicted Jalinton would be the player he, he is in midfield a year ago or and more ago, would they? Nobody would have predicted that Longstaff comes in this season and takes that role and fills it and then stays there. What you want is to add quality. You don't think about who's going to drop out. You don't think about who's going to make way. You look at a player in their own right for the qualities they have and then it's up to them to get into the team and we've seen we've seen so often with this 11 that um people are rising to the challenge so that's what you want to do you want to look at people who'll come in and uh and add to the group and then it's up to them to to you know to make it their own absolutely anyway all the gloom aside uh we didn't lose uh which is a bit a big bonus that that unbeaten run continued through that Leeds game 2022 has been sensational overall hasn't it um we did you lads did a, a review of the year uh and it's uh, it's now been published a fantastic read um it's been an incredible year hasn't it chris i mean who would have thought who would have thought newcastle would be flying high like this it's been an absolute staggering year. i mean what what george and i wanted to do with this review was do it slightly differently so we had within it sort of six categories where it was like player of the year uh, or, or individual player of the year, goal of the year, match of the year, things like that. But also within it, beyond that, we basically went through each month, each of the 12 months, and picked uh, what we saw as a pivotal moment from each of those months because it just so much happened over the course of the year. A lot of it extremely positive. A club transformed on and off the pitch, starting along this this journey that they're hoping to go towards. And it was... We got very positive reception for the articles and that, that was very kind. Thank you. I had quite a few people messaging me on New Year's Eve before the Leeds game sort of saying reading that this morning just brought back so many happy memories from this year. And it is because you forget how much had happened across the course of the year. And you do... It is now easy to forget the position Newcastle were in on New Year's Day in 2022. That that they had come into that year, they were second bottom of the Premier League. They'd won one match uh, all season. They were conceding goals for fun. They had the worst uh, 
Premier League record ever for conceding goals in a calendar year the previous year. And you look at them now and they've got the, the best defence in the Premier League by a, a considerable margin this season. Ten clean sheets so far this season. Incredible. They've just been absolutely brilliant. And that is testament to Eddie Howe, to his coaching staff, to people at the club and also the players for being able to to, to have given Newcastle fans such an enjoyable 22, 2022 and to make them look forward so much to this current year. Absolutely, what a year, George! Eh? It's been absolutely, uh, it's been mesmerising, hasn't it? The, the the climb by Newcastle United, as Chris said, from last New Year's Day to this, it's just been astonishing. It's it's you know it's a generational season, isn't it? Probably beyond that, and I'm just so pleased that you know the 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 current generation of Newcastle fans have got something like that to look back on and to think that they're part of. Chris is absolutely spot on. It's not them, you know. In some ways, it's not been the takeover that we exp- that. That sort of we expected, or that, or perhaps the world expected for Newcastle. Maybe it would be rich and flamboyant, and they'd throw attacking play. And yeah, the absolute bedrock of the takeover has been the defence. Has been Newcastle's defence. That transformation is absolutely astonishing, as Chris says, from the worst defence in the Premier League in Premier League history for a calendar year now to the best defence in the Premier League. And just remember when Eddie Howe signed, all those people saying. You know, and we were part of it. We were part of it in terms of, you know, is is Eddie Howe quite what the club needs? Is I mean, you know, a guy who could set up a team, at, you know, did amazing things at Bournemouth, but they were an adventurous front-footed side. Is he who, who you really need when you need to shore things up? There was a lot of talk about that he couldn't coach a defence, wasn't there? <laughs> and look at them. I know, it's These amazing. beautiful, horrible-to-play-against bastards <laughs> who, you know, just... Yeah, it's been it's been an abs- but of course, and in the right circumstances, they play really good football. Let's not let's not say that that's that's all what they're about because they're not. They're <coughs> they're a team who can mix it. And one of the most impressive things about them is that they can um, they can play the circumstances. They can play the occasion. It's not just about having one way of one way to play. Um, and that's certainly what they did against Arsenal, which will. Just to quickly pick up on that, I just wanted to say that in the in the match day discussion yesterday, there were a lot of uh, comments about how people can't even remember miserable George. It's he's, he's been happy George for so long they can't actually remember miserable George. It's, it's been, been quite from the, history. Yeah, it's been a transformation on the pod and the tine as well on the persona of uh, Mister Culkin as well. Well, I'm, as you could testify, Chris, I'm still miserable. It's just that when I'm talking about Newcastle, I'm slightly just a different kind of miserable now. Yeah, I just express my misery in different ways. (laughs) Just, just, just instead, just puts it all on me. That's right. Anyway, uh, domestics aside, it's your chance to pick up subscription to the Athletic right now and pay just one pound ninety nine. That's less than two pound a month for your first year uh, at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. We'll be back in a sec to discuss some scandalous penalty decisions and boiled piss. See you soon. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. 
Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right then, chops. It's time to welcome our latest recruit, sort of. Uh, uh, Chris uh, and his Southophobia struck again, and George was flying back from the States, so they dropped the new boy in at the deep end. Here's Jacob Whitehead dodging the scaffolders at the Emirates Stadium. So it's an hour after Newcastle's 0-0 draw of Arsenal at the Emirates. First result at the Emirates in about 11 years. And I think Newcastle will be leaving with quite a strange feeling. On the one hand, brilliant defensive performance. Arsenal kept a relatively few clear chances. But possibly because of the timing of it, just before half-time, it gets forgotten. But that Joe Linton chance really was glorious to give Newcastle a 1-0 win. That said, kind of third in the league, still in the hunt. Everything really does feel still on. Thought personally that in particular Fabian Shah got his head on absolutely everything. And then in midfield, that left-hand side combination of Joe Linton and Joe Willock just interchanging constantly. It's almost as if one of them gets a bit of time off basketball style while the other one presses in midfield and then they swap again. It's a really clever use of them by Howe and another reason why it's going to be really hard for Sam Maximan to get in the team. When he came on at the end, there's that bit of hope that could he catch him on a break, but all to nothing, and oh, I really don't want to have to think about that potential handball decision much more. Fair play, there's Jacob Whitehead there, new boy Jacob Whitehead, who was at the Emirates last night. Chris, it was um, the first five minutes of the game, I think I was watching it through through my fingers, just thinking, oh my God, just survive, just survive the first five, ten minutes, and let's see what we can do here. It was It was dicey stuff to start with, wasn't it? It was. I mean, nearly half of Arsenal's chances came in the first, I think it was eight minutes or something like that. It was crazy. They really did stretch Newcastle early on. And I think it was on the commentary that Gary Neville sort of said, there's only one team who sort of turned up the intensity at this point, which is not what you expect from Newcastle. And it was very much a ride those first few minutes very, very fortunate really that Arsenal didn't actually score at that stage. Burn looked to be stretched at left back. Yeah. There wasn't enough cover out wide. Arsenal were getting in down both flanks, getting a lot of room and really stretching Newcastle's quite narrow shape at that stage. And how almost seemed to change it off the ball. So it looked like it was almost like a four five one off the ball. And Joel Linton became the sort of left wing back really in that sense. And on the other side you had Miguel Almiron covering and Newcastle I thought coped after that first 10 minutes really actually found a way to to get enough bodies around uh, Saka and Odegaard in particular who were really causing the problems and have been Arsenal's main creative sparks this season uh, I mean really interesting piece from from Jacob from the game where he's looked at Newcastle this season and gone further into some of the, the reasons why they are so strong defensively and basically whenever, whenever they've faced the so-called sort of big six sides they have stifled the main player for the opposition. It's not just that they are very good defensively as a unit. They also are coming up with ways to really try and nullify the effect of the very best player of the opposition. And they managed to do that for Odegaard for most of last night, who was, I think he had three goals and three assists in his previous three appearances for Arsenal. He has been in fantastic form and is the reason why they're top of the league. And so after a very, very difficult start, Newcastle showed in-game management both from Howe, but also the players on the pitch to work out what they needed to do and the amount of ground 
that Joe Linton and Joe Willett covered was just astonishing. Yeah, it was. They doubled up in the fullback positions, didn't they, George? And it's the first time that Arsenal haven't scored at home this season. Uh, a great defensive display by Newcastle, and um, back to boiling the piss of others rather than having it having our own piss boiled by Leeds United. Yeah, absolutely. I think Arsenal has scored something like forty goals this season. I think only Man City have scored more. Absolutely, six clean sheets in a row for Newcastle. And yeah, those those first ten minutes they were, you know, they were a struggle to watch. But again, as Chris says, just to just to amplify that, the impressive thing was how Newcastle responded to that. And mentioned Dan Byrne. You know he's one of he's one of our favourite people on the on the pod. I mean, and he has to have credit as well for the way he responded personally to those first ten minutes. He 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 spoke very well afterwards. I thought he did. You know, talking about how good Arsenal were, but they found a way. You know, that's the really impressive thing about this Newcastle team is how they respond. They responded to the circumstances. They knew it was going to be tough for them. They did everything they could to respond to it. And yeah. Doubling up, sometimes tripling up on Saka and Odegaard was the way they went forward. It was incredibly frustrating for Arsenal, I'm sure. But, you know, Newcastle have become masters at at seeing out games like that. Uh, just just picking up on, on the sort of way that Newcastle approached the game as well. I mean, speaking to, to people in and around the club over the course of the last sort of week or two is that they are under no illusions about... That, that really, as George said earlier, they are sort of outperforming what you would expect of them. The way that, that, that they look at it internally at Newcastle is that, as so many other Premier League clubs do, is that basically what you spend on transfer fees and wages, over time, that will be your position in the league table, almost certainly. And Newcastle are basically a mid-table team when it comes to wages, and they are in the top three at the moment. So they went to Arsenal in fantastic form, but knowing really, certainly offensively, as we mentioned earlier, that, that they... They aren't at Arsenal's level yet. They are still earlier in their journey, even though Arsenal themselves are transforming the team of last year. And so I think there was a bit more pragmatism about Newcastle than there has been in other matches. I can only think of really Liverpool I went to and played in a slightly different way as well, trying to get Isak in behind the Liverpool defence. Other than that, Newcastle haven't really too much changed what they're doing to, to stifle the opposition. I think there was partly going into the game they thought about doing it to an extent, but also but circumstances dictated it. They were struggling early on. They had to change within, and they did that, and they, they got a, to get a point at the Emirates. I mean, George mentioned that Arsenal scored 40 goals a season. The last team who Arsenal failed to score against was Newcastle United at St. James's Park yes, in yeah, May. Yeah. Newcastle have kept six clean sheets in a row. The defence, its I think it's more than nine hours since they've conceded in the league. Is the clean sheets thing a record now as well, Chris? I'm sure I heard that the clean sheets, the six in a row clean sheets was a record. I think for Newcastle it is. Yeah, a club yeah. record. I think it equals, equals a yeah, club yeah. record. Yeah, yeah, club record, yeah. And so that, that, that side of the game, even though they were tested for five minutes, after that, you take out the first five, ten minutes and until a couple of chances laid on when... Nick Pope again makes a wonderful save oh, from Enkedi. I mean, just to, just to just to be ready for that. But apart from that, Arsenal didn't pepper the goal. Arteta said afterwards, we didn't do enough when we got around the box. And that's because Newcastle were so defensively solid. They're so well organised. They 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 reorganised on the pitch themselves. And that's what I found very impressive last night. They changed in-game and that is not an easy thing to do. Yeah, that was the point I just, I, I kind of wanted to, to kind of come back to. When I said earlier that, um, you know, ev- everybody at Newcastle is 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 overperforming. I mean that as a compliment. But you know, and again, when you're if you're doing that sort of fantasy football sort of match of in terms of building squads and swapping squads, 
Um, again, that's not meant to be. That's not meant to sort of be an insult to Newcastle to the Newcastle players because I wouldn't swap this team for anybody. I, lo- I you know I love watching them play and I love uh, I love the feeling the feeling around them. But you have to also remember the circumstances this season, which is that teams like Liverpool, Man United, although they're coming good now, Chelsea have. Uh, you know, having bad seasons or they're having transitional seasons, and Newcastle have so far have absolutely made the most of an opportunity that's in in front of them. But they're way ahead of schedule. I mean, to be third at this point, yes, it's an opportunity, but they're way ahead of where they quote unquote should be this season. And so, you know, we have to acknowledge that. And yes, you know, absolutely, we all hope that they they can stay there. But you know, they're they're. That's the impressive thing is that this isn't this isn't where this team should be. They're all absolutely giving everything every single match. And so I can forgive days like Leeds where things don't go their way because I think that has to happen in terms of, you know, in terms of match unlockers. If you compare Newcastle, that's a very clunk, clunky phrase. Sorry, match unlockers. What do I mean? Game, you know, game winners. Newcastle don't have those players. Or they don't have that many of those players. They have Bruno, yes. They have St. Maxima, who uh, isn't starting matches. And yes, they have Wilson as well. But they don't have a huge number of those players. Almiron, of course, this season. But they don't have a huge number of those players compared to the other top teams. So I just want to sort of shout that out. It's it's a pleasure to watch. You always want a team to be playing at the limit of their potential. And I honestly think Newcastle are. And Chris, Andy Maidley, referee, must have uh, got a new yellow card for Christmas because he wanted to show it off to everybody, didn't he? He was very trigger-happy in that first half with the bookings. But credit to Newcastle, they kind of recognised this and adjusted the way they were going about things because they were quite aggressive to start with and then seemed to sit off. But I think that's probably because half the team had been booked by that point. We didn't want to lose anybody. Yeah, I mean, I just thought he lost control of the game so early on. He gave some quite soft yellow cards, which meant he had to then basically yeah. just keep following that up. What was fascinating... Like Pringles, Chris. Once you well, pop, that's it. Well, well exactly. <laughs> I mean, what, was fa- what was fascinating was that, they were, they, that Newcastle, what they did well, as well as giving away clever free kicks when they needed to, they also won clever free kicks. Again, Bruno Gimaraes involved in that. At half-time, if, if you thought, looked at it and thought about, because of the yellow cards Newcastle had received... And because of the fouls that had been committed, you'd have thought, oh, Newcastle be miles ahead on the foul count. They actually had one fewer yellow card at that stage in Arsenal, two to three, <laughs> and they'd had yeah. the same number of fouls committed because they're very good at breaking the game up both on and off the ball. And it was it was just, they were just very, very good at what they were trying to do and the way that they did frustrate Arsenal. And it was, it was all about the off the ball work. I thought it was telling that when Eddie Howe did make his first substitutions, it wasn't Alan Sat Maximan he turned to at that stage. Yeah. He took off Miguel Almiron, who, who was yeah. who would look like he'd run himself into the ground, and then also Callum Wilson. And he brought on Chris Wood and Jacob Murphy. And I think that was as much for what he was going to get off the ball as it was on the ball. Rather than, And then he brought on Alan Sat Maximan sort of in the final 10 minutes to try and see if Newcastle could maybe get something on the break at that stage. But he needed everyone off the ball to be given the full buy-in and we know that sometimes Alan St. Maximan struggles with that. You might not necessarily like like this bit of the conversation but one thing that Newcastle were very good at was spotting that thing by about Maidley giving out yellow cards and so they were very quick to go to him when Arsenal you know put in put in a tackle that compared yeah. to those other yellow card challenges and I do think the referee boxed himself into a corner because he set that tone early and he then had to stick to it and so Newcastle found a way of turning that, if not to their advantage, then certainly stopping that from being 
a disadvantage. And while we're on the subject of yellow cards, we'll, I know this is the next little topic for us. I do want to give huge praise to Jamal Lascelles for his second booking this season <laughs> when not on the pitch. For the same for thing as well. A, for disrupting for exactly a throw-in. I mean, again, that will infuriate Arsenal fans. I know that. But it's it's... He, that was a captain's performance. I want to know what he said to the ref of what his excuse was for what he was doing. Because he looked <laughs> like he was waiting for a bus. And he's sort of standing, <laughs> just checking his watch, just finishing his crossword and his paper. Oh, is there a game of football going on? Sorry, I didn't. Sorry, ref. I didn't realise. Honestly, I didn't realise. It was brilliant. I can't imagine any any player in the history of football has been booked <laughs> twice in a season whilst not on the pitch for disrupting a throw in. Jason Tindall joined in as well, didn't he? When he threw the ball on the pitch, I think yeah. it was about the 39th minute when uh, Arsenal were trying to quick quick throw in, and he he threw it on the pitch. And uh, he was he was agitator in chief on the touchline as he always is, winding Arteta up all game. One of my favourite bits of the game, though, uh, and it just shows that the lad hasn't got a bad bone in his body and that was Miguel Almiron chasing back Eddie and Kedia going through the back of him flattening him the referee runs across and Miggy just sat there on the floor with a big smile on his face with his thumbs up just going yeah I know I fouled him I fouled him I'm sorry he just doesn't he can't shithouse the lad is incapable of shithousing so he just had to sit there and and, and smile and put his thumbs up but yeah uh, no doubt George as you said as you alluded to before Arsenal did have the better of the game uh, but we limited their chances and we got our big book of dark arts out didn't we and, and, and at every possible conceivable turn we tried to frustrate them and stop them from scoring and 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 make the game slower yeah and it's part of the game i mean yeah there was huge fume from arsenal fans and and arsenal themselves after the game but you know there's there's i I mean including someone who sort of responded to to me saying something by sort of saying that this was a disgrace on the day that pele the greatest footballer in the history of the world was laid to rest and it's like okay well you know, but Pele of all people would have. I can't believe I'm even saying that. But Pele of all people. Just to be clear, was somebody sure. was blaming Newcastle United for for Pele. Well, <laughs> it felt a bit like that. I mean, but, you know, but there, there's more than one way to to, to play the game, and I know it's 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 excellent. And you know that Newcastle, the, the way Newcastle now approach the football is that their starting point is that they're not going to get beaten. And if they can't win a match, they will make sure they don't lose it. And that, there's nothing wrong, you know. There's nothing wrong with that. They there are certainly times when they stretch legality in terms of the the game. They are prepared to do that. I love seeing it. I love you know. And I, as I say, I enjoyed watching it when Leeds were Leeds were doing it because yeah. they were setting Newcastle. It's, it's like an equation. You've got to find a way past it. You've got to solve it. Arsenal couldn't do it last night. You know, they couldn't do it. And that's to Newcastle's credit. A friend of Chris and I said this in a in a group chat that we were having last night. People aren't enjoying Newcastle at the moment. They're noticing Newcastle because Newcastle are challenging them now. And I don't want to be all like, you know, little Newcastle, little Englander kind of thing about, about this. But Newcastle have been tolerated and ignored for years and years and years because they weren't a threat. People didn't care about Mike Ashley. People weren't bothered. They weren't going to listen. They didn't, you know, when Newcastle fans talked about the lack of ambition at the club and they talked about all of those things, people didn't make an attempt to try and find out about it. Now they are finding out about Newcastle because Newcastle are causing them problems and they're challenging. And I love I love that. You know, Absolutely. I love that. And bring it and if people don't like it, so what? 
Absolutely. No longer are we the team to just turn up, roll over and have our tummy tickled, Chris. Duncan Alexander mentioned this on, on Twitter. Newcastle have conceded fewer Premier League goals in 22-23 uh, than they did in December of last season, which is a ridiculous stat, isn't it? Incredible. It is. And it, again, that just goes back to the transformation that we, we spoke about earlier on. And you think about the teams that they've faced already this season. They've, t- they've faced all the sort of traditional big six, quote-unquote, now this season as well and, and have managed to come out with uh, that sort of record. So that is that is fantastic. But it's it's more just in terms of that Newcastle seem to be comfortable. We've spoken about this before as well. They seem to be comfortable at that level. Yes, they had the, the, the awkward first 10 minutes in Arsenal, but then they, they, they seem to thrive on the, on the... So the pressure isn't getting to them yet. And Eddie Howe said after the Leeds draw that he hopes that the players... Don't let it get to them. They should relish where they are. They should enjoy the position that they're in and and just keep trying to go where they are. Don't think about what may come because nobody expected them to be in this position. The pressure is still off them to a large degree. Yeah. But they are also they are all playing, as George rightly said, to to the to the maximum and they're getting just rewards at the moment. Yeah, Mikel Arteta, George, he called some of those decisions, the penalty decisions, scandalous, didn't he? Uh, and as the kids are saying these days, he was somewhat rattled, wasn't he, at the end of the game? He, he really got animated on the touchline. Well, whatever else I would say about those decisions or non-decisions, the one thing that they weren't was scandalous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the one thing that they weren't was scandalous. Definitely not. You know... I, you know, I, I they, genuinely do think the Dan Byrne one could be a penalty, though. No, no, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. But it was—he's uh, all over him, isn't he? Yeah, he's 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 pulled in and stuff like that. But I mean, the handball one—if that had gone the other way, oh, you know, furious with that. Honestly, it's—he was certainly very, very wound up the whole night. And okay, fair enough. I don't, you know, great to see passion in him. And he, he and Eddie Howe had a had a had a bit of a set two on the touchline, which is very rare from Eddie Howe's. Uh, perspective but no I mean they weren't scandalous were they I mean that's the point they weren't scandalous you don't look at that match and think that's a travesty of justice if it had been the other way around would I have been shouting for both those penalties yes I would I think I think Eddie Howe said the same thing afterwards but scandalous behave yourself they weren't scandalous I think Eddie Howe turned up with his piss not not entirely boiling at the start but it was on a gentle simmer wasn't it at the start of the game Chris I think he was already there wasn't he and and as things went on it just uh it just got even more and more animated it was nice to see Eddie Howe stepping up though and having a bit of a dig back when uh when Arteta came screaming up the touchline after the handball incident it, it was good to see Eddie sort of for once Jason Tindall wasn't the man who was doing that yeah, as you said, usually Jason Tyndall and actually, bizarrely, it was like rules reversed because Tyndall was actually almost pulling Howe away as well, which which I, I never thought that I would see. But yeah, Newcastle have an interesting dynamic on the touchline because I was thinking about this the other day and I don't think there's another sort of coaching duo almost who are always together in the in the sort of technical area and Tyndall is the wind-up merchant he's the one who he passes on instructions to the players but he also he's listening to what the other uh, dugout is talking about he's always speaking to the fourth official he's winding up Arteta as he was last night and then usually Howe's the one who's quite calm but at the end of that game he was he was rattled and I think there's quite a few other Premier League managers who've, who've gone frustrated by some of Arteta's touchline antics. I remember when I was at the Emirates uh, when Newcastle lost there in Howe's first away game. And that after that game, just thinking how ridiculous Arteta was for the entire game on the touchline. And I think that, that that has frustrated a lot of people. So the way that he did go on, I think, for that final decision did really seem to get under Howe's skin. 
I am, I'm only an amateur lip reader, I will say this, but I'm pretty sure at one point Eddie told him to get back in his box, which I thought was lovely. Well, he is he is <laughs> a serial touchline. What do you call those? Technical, technical area. areas. He, he is a serial technical area encroacher, Mikel Arteta. Yeah, he was he halfway down the touchline at one point, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, yeah, he was. Yeah. yeah, he does it a lot. Um, anyway, after the off the back of that, though, can we draw any conclusions about the uh, the title race and the top four? Chris, Newcastle are still up there, still in with a shout, level on points now with Man United, who uh, who picked up a win as well. What are the possibilities of Newcastle taking this further? I'm not going to place a limit on it. I'm going to use an Eddie Howism and say that I'm not going to say what Newcastle can or can't achieve, but I'm also not going to put any pressure on them by saying they have to do anything. Uh, the, the fact that they are in this position, they are every every possibility is, is is still there. I think the title is looking unlikely, but well, I mean to even say that in uh, January the fourth is ludicrous. <laughs> and then top four, they are they are comfortably w- within the top four at the moment. They are third on goal difference ahead of Man United, but they're they're ahead of of Spurs and Liverpool. You expect those teams to improve at some stage but I'm not going to I'm just going to keep enjoying watching Newcastle at the moment just yeah, see what they can absolutely. get I'm not going to I'm not going to place a limit on it but I'm also not going to set them a target Right then chaps let's have a little break and we'll be back in just a minute to have a little chat about the January transfer window back in a more This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right, boys, uh, January's here, and that means the third transfer window of the new ownership. Chris has been digging into our plans this time around. Chris, we've done the, the so-called revolution, and now it's time for the evolution of Newcastle United, yeah? Well, yeah, the, the expectation going into this window, which is now open, is that Newcastle are not going to do, A, the quantity of business that they have done in the previous two windows, nor the sort of levels of investment that have been put in the last two windows. Dan Ashworth, when we sat down with them in October, said that that spending £200 million, as, as essentially Newcastle spent last year, is just unsustainable going forward. Every Newcastle now need to increase their revenues before they can really uh, expand further in the market. That's not just to do with actual transfer fees as well. A large part of that is to do with the wage bill, which has already increased significantly because of a lot of players have been given new contracts, the coaching staff have been given new contracts, and Newcastle have brought in higher-level players. And until they are regularly bringing in 
higher levels of of income from commercial deals and the like, which Darren Eels and Peter Silverstone that uh, are working extremely hard to bring in on a commercial level, they can't afford to do that yet. And so I think although Eddie Howe is keen to strengthen this month, if possible, with one or two Premier League-ready additions who can really aid their push for European football or whatever it may be, think there is caution from other levels of the board who are not against Newcastle signing someone and they're going to be flexible enough for if the right player at the right price becomes available they may do a deal but our warning uh, it's, it's, I suppose it is a warning now that, that if we do have to do that then some summer spending will have to be front loaded to now because we can't yeah. just keep spending money. Now the caveat to all of this is the last two windows Yasser or Ryan suddenly got involved and Newcastle have gone and spend more than expected but at some point FFP will begin to catch up with them. They are very conscious of not going above and beyond FFP concerns. And so in terms of the amount of business they're going to do this month, I don't see it being more than one or two senior players. They would like a young right back to to provide cover in that position with Emil Kraft still out. And they would also, ideally, the priority position is a number six. Yes, that number six, George, that is a position that uh, a lot of people have talked about. We mentioned it earlier on in the the podcast. A few names have been mentioned. It seems like they've got their shortlist. And they are gunning for certain players. Uh, you know, Yuri Tielemans has been mentioned. It's it's an interesting one, this, because it could potentially change the dynamic of that midfield, which has done so well so far this season. Yeah, and in uh, unlike in previous windows, there's a different, you know, there's a different uh, plan there. Or there's a different need now. What they had to do last January was absolute remedial work to get them out of trouble. Yes. And even that felt like it might be a forlorn task mm. in the summer. Again, they had to, you know, they had to make an investment. Well, what do they have to do now? Well, on the face of it, nothing, because they're third in the table. So, and how do you how do you get better than third? I mean, that's actually, you know, that's the quandary for them. To, to, to be better than a team that's in third, you have to be really, really, really shit hot. And you have to buy the kind of player who, unless you're incredibly smart incredibly clever which to be fair they've been so far you know you're talking about spending a lot of money so that's the that's the dilemma they're in how do you find players who's going to improve upon a team that's already third in the Premier League and do they take the opportunity that's in front of them by investing now or do they wait so it's I think it's a really interesting window in terms of what they do but it's also a luxury, you know, we have to remember that. You know, we have to do take a little bit of a step back and sort of recognise that this isn't a window where they need to do what they did 12 months ago, which was save the save the team, save the club from relegation. Same in the summer, they really had to improve. This is very different. This is a luxurious position to be in. They're third in the Premier League. And to improve on third is going to take a lot of quality. Now, normally, that also means a lot of money. So the dilemma is, do they strengthen now from a position of strength? Do they wait? They don't have to strengthen is the point that I'm is the point that I'm making. And you know it's another opportunity to reflect and to to praise the players who've got Newcastle into third. Absolutely. Uh, Martin Dubravka, Chris, has came back from Man United from his little loan spell there and was straight on the bench against uh, Arsenal last night. An interesting one, Martin Dubravka coming back in as he, Coming back with his tail between his legs slightly, do you think, or or, or do you think he's uh, still well well in with a chance of, of figuring in any house plans at some point? I think he is coming back with his tail between his legs. He went to Man United expecting to play. He is being keen to to return. It's not what anyone expected. Or the way Man United sold the loan deal to them, he hasn't played that much, and when he has played, he hasn't necessarily 
been great. So it was a decision that was made between Dubravka and Newcastle. They they have recalled him. He was immediately back on the bench. to say, how never wanted to let him go in the first place. But Dubravka had his head turned, wanted to go and, and, and thought that he was going to play a bit more there, play in Europe. And instead, he, he, he's realised that he, he referred to Newcastle as his home in a social media post. And he, he's back. Um, what that means for the future of the rest of the goalkeepers is an interesting matter. Loris Karius, his contract is up this month. There is an option to extend at the end of the season. His situation is very much going to depend on whether Cardalo is to go out, be it on loan or permanent. Newcastle can't sustain that many goalkeepers. I've also got Mark Gillespie who isn't in the, the Premier League squad. But the, the plan at the moment is Dubravka is, is going to stay around. He's been linked with, with Leicester and others. But the, the plan at the moment is he's going to stay at Newcastle for the rest of the season unless they get a really enticing offer and unless he's given the guarantees of playing, really. So it's it's a, it's an interesting situation. I think that he's had to accept his sort of relegation and status, for want of a better term, that he is now number two. But Newcastle's goalkeeping department is strengthened significantly for having him back. He's been an excellent servant for the club. And... Fingers crossed nothing happens to Nick Pope, but if it does, having Martin Dubravka on the bench is certainly a very good backup to have. Yes, and you would imagine that they'll be playing staff departures, but we've already had a, a youth coach departure as well. Elliot Dickman has left the club. George, do we know anything about that? Well, there's been a huge amount of change at youth level. I mean, that's the first thing to point out post-takeover. It goes under the radar a bit, but under Steve Harper, the academy manager, there's really been uh, a revolution taking place there. It isn't necessarily evolution um and they're going you know the phrase that harper uses is changing from existence to performance they had a budget that was pretty tiny by premier league standards under mike ashley and now that budget is going up they've kept their category one status and you know that funding has, has has increased substantially so that's all part of these series of changes they've recruited a lot of people behind the scenes and you know uh harps is describes those people as high quality people so i'm not denigrating elliot dickman's work and i don't know the the sort of inside story of his his departure but this is an area of the club where they've been working hugely to improve things so that that is carrying on good stuff um so Chris, two big cup ties coming up next. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday away and Leicester City at home. FA Cup and the League Cup quarterfinals. A great opportunity for Newcastle United to make progress uh, in both of those competitions. I had an interesting conversation with someone last night. We were trying to figure out which one of those two games Eddie Howe was going to prioritise and which one he'll look at as being the more important because it's not often you get two cup ties for two different competitions so close to each other, is it? No, I mean, we'll get a very Eddie Howe answer about that on Friday where he'll say that every single game he wants... We won't win every single game. (laughs) But if if, if you look at it, I mean, the focus really has to be Leicester. I mean, Newcastle are already into the last eight of that competition. So... In theory, that is a that is a more difficult opponent. They are at St James's Park, so they have that advantage. But you would have thought that that will be the one if he is going to make a few concessions this weekend, particularly given Newcastle have played sort of midweek. That that would be the one that you'd focus on. But there's a big opportunity in the FA Cup as well. Newcastle have opportunities in both domestic cup competitions. I do expect some changes this weekend. Alexander Isak may even be back in the squad in some capacity, which is huge news at a time. How used the... Uh, he almost went down Pardew territory, referring to him as like a new signing uh, last week. But, <laughs> but, but again, he is because he's only played three times. Newcastle haven't seen him on the pitch since September. That he, he will offer something different. So I think that we'll see some changes 
on Saturday and then I, I think that it'll be probably just about full strength if not full strength for Leicester in midweek because Newcastle believe they can progress in both and I think that they'll, they'll prioritise the second one because it's the more difficult tie and they're already so deep into that competition they don't want to waste that opportunity now. Ah, oh, George, the Cups. George, the Cups, the FA Cup, George. That's the one... That's the one I always thought. If Newcastle were going to win a trophy, that was the one I wanted. I didn't think the league was ever in reach, but the cup, it was always there, wasn't it? It was tantalising, just hanging on in the background. It could be this year. The cups, man. I love the cups. They're brilliant. Yeah, well, we can fall in, fall back in love with the cups, can't yeah. we? That's been that's been the lovely thing. And yeah, we've had this series on The Athletic around Newcastle um, calling it the Cup Odyssey and we've started it and we're going to keep calling it that every sort of match report or match piece we do around the Cups will be titled the Cup Odyssey because I think it feels like that story has started again yes as a kid for me Newcastle were a Cup team yep. that's how I was brought up you know th- those Cup wins in the f- in the 50s and the Fairs Cup in 1969 they weren't too long before I was born yeah, the League Cup feels like the one at the moment. I'm not fussy anymore. I'll take I'll take absolutely anything. I honestly um give me the Intertoto, I'll celebrate that like an absolute lunatic. Um but uh, no, not really. Um but I'm in the away end at Sheffield Wednesday. It's sold out away end. Brilliant. It'll be my first uh, experience with the away end this season, so I'm really 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 looking forward to that. And then yeah, Leicester the following week. What a big what a big match that is. So it's just great that I mean it felt like under Steve Bruce when on that occasion that Newcastle got beyond the third round of whichever cup it was. Well, both, you know, got, it felt like we were in this sort of magical territory just because Newcastle's season was extending in a positive sense, was extending beyond January. And now Newcastle season is extending beyond January because of where they are in the league, first and foremost. But to have that sense of Hope in the cup, it's just beautiful. It's beautiful. Bring it on. Absolutely. Let's hope. I mean, it will be, you know, Saturday will be a magical day because they're away from home. The away end is full. It'll be noisy. It'll be loud. It'll be brilliant. Live so on the telly team, as well. Yeah, whatever team. Whatever Tin team foil FA picks. Cups all round. Can't wait. Oh, man, can't I can't wait. wait. It'll be brilliant. Bring it on. Absolutely. Uh, right then, chaps, should we wrap things up there? Yeah, I was just going to ask you, Taylor, do you think that having George back in the UK is like having a new signing or... Uh, I don't know. We has his medical come back yet? Uh, is, there's there's still a chance it could go south, isn't there? Well, I mean, you suggest that he was ever north <laughs> to begin with. Then <laughs> the the thing about the new signing thing is, I know Chris sort of did did that sort of Alan Pardew thing, and that was like fair enough because he Alan Pardew would invariably say that kind of stuff after transfer windows when Newcastle had signed nobody and so he would look at somebody who's been out for like three or four weeks and sort of try and spin a bit of positive for it. The, the the beautiful thing about Isak is that it is, it is, is true. It? I mean, yeah, it, they spent absolute shitload of money on him. We saw him play a couple of times. And his his return, you know, obviously you, you can't mitigate against potential injuries elsewhere. But, you know, his return, St. Maximus on the bench, suddenly you've got a few choices to be made there. And that is, you know, that's very exciting. That is exciting. Absolutely. And what is also exciting is we've made a signing of our own, haven't we, with uh, Jacob Whitehead joining us as well, uh, uh, coming in and and that little match report at the top. Great stuff to hear from him. And we look forward to hearing a lot more from him in the future. To be fair, Taylor, any any new signing that we make goes straight into the first team, surely. (laughs) 
Who's, we're not who's a bit gonna like... have to be dropped? That's the thing. <laughs> well, I, I think we're a bit like Newcastle twelve months ago. I think I think anybody anybody comes Take in a name out the hat. improves the team. Yeah, absolutely yeah. great stuff. Right then, uh, all of you out there as well. Don't forget to go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle Pod, uh, or you can pick up a subscription to the Athletic and pay one pound ninety nine a month. Uh, for your first year. And if that's not value, George, I don't know what is. Uh, Right then, that's it, chaps. Thanks very much for your time. Thanks, Chris. Happy New Year to you, sir. And Happy New Year to you, George, as well. Lovely to have you back. Happy Nude Year to you, too. Thanks. How did you know? (laughs) Thanks a lot. From everyone at Pod on the Time, we'll speak to you next week. Cheers. Take care. Bye-bye. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.